and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, welcoming you to my first show of 2023. So Happy New Year to everyone. Frank was in the chair last week, a really excellent show with Sean Garrett. Um, happy New Year to you, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you as well, Steve. Yeah, and uh, we got so much to talk about this week, actually. Lo- lots of stories, lots of things going on, so we'll flip through it. But we've got a fantastic guest first to talk to. It's Patrice Tanaka, who's the founder and chief joy officer at Joyful Planet. Hey, Patrice. Also a PR Week Hall of Famer and queen of the selfies. How are you? <laughs> Uh-oh, is that what's going to be on my tombstone? Yes, <laughs> Happy New Year. Aloha, everyone. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, you're one of the few people who can get me to smile in a selfie. So, you know, that's, so that takes oh. some doing. And, and we do a bunch yeah, of those, don't we? Yeah, it takes some work getting that smile out yeah, of it's you. Not, but, it's not yeah. my best... Um, yeah, attribute, shall we say. <laughs> so I need more joy in my life. And that's what we're going to talk to you about. Um, the right. chief joy officer at Joyful Planet sounds like a great gig. And then we'll chat about some of the topical issues. There's a few crises around the FAA flight issues. Golden Globes were back. Prince Harry, AT&T has a new CCO. Marina Mar did a nice piece on Barbara Walters. Lots of agency stuff, and we launched our agency business report call for entries and then some interesting campaigns, including a nut-shaped car. So what more could you want to kick the year off? Patrice, tell us what Joyful Planet's all about and what being chief joy officer there encompasses, because I think, you know, we all need a bit more happiness and joy in our lives, don't we, after the last few years? And as we start a new year, um, set the scene for us and, and get us going with with a joyful uh, look at, you know, outlook on 2023. All right. Well, thank you for that leading question. <laughs> well, <that's- laughs> um, yes. Well, you know, when I retired from uh, the PR world and I loved my PR career, I co-founded three PR and marketing agencies and then decided that I would do something else. And I had a non-compete, so I couldn't start a PR agency. So I, I knew I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure what. Um, and I ultimately started Joyful Planet, which is both uh, the name of my consultancy and my vision of 8 billion people actively living their purpose and leveraging their talents, their expertise, and their passion in service of other people and our planet. So I work with individuals and organizations to help them either actively live or operationalize their purpose to unleash greater success and fulfillment and yes, joy, because that is the byproduct of living or operationalizing your business purpose to unleash a lot more good into the world in our personal lives, in our workplaces and in our communities. And yes, I picked a title for myself that amuses me. (laughs) And so I am the founder and chief joy officer. Yes. CJO. Um, Look, the the world is a crazy place, isn't it? And it has been for the last three years with uh, the pandemic, with all of the sort of 
vicious, you know, political strife globally. We've got, we've still got the ongoing invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Geopolitically, everything seems difficult. Gas prices, the environment. It's difficult sometimes to lift your head up and, and start feeling good about things. So what, what are your hints for us, Patrice? Well, you know, I tell people that actually the last three years of pandemic, uh, racial injustice, riots, insurrection, increasing anti-Asian hate and violence, polarization, gun violence, and yes, war, despite all of these things, uh, the past three years have actually been my most productive and positive years because all I did was I simply focused on actively living my purpose. That was my focus. I wasn't kind of distracted and derailed by all of these terrible external events that were going on. I was aware of them, but I wasn't going to be derailed by them uh, because I have important work that I want to do uh, in my life. And so, yeah, I have to say the past three years have been pretty good ones. And one of the good things about the past three years for for me personally was that I realized instead of live workshops, now I'm doing webinars. And when you do a webinar, and I do these Discover Your Life and Leadership Purpose webinars for organizations, for their employees, or for their members. And so you can have an unlimited number of participants in a webinar, right? So I've done these webinars for hundreds and thousands of people talking to them about the importance and the power of, if you're an individual actively living your purpose, and if you're an organization um, operationalizing your business purpose. So I can't complain. Yeah, and that's interesting you say that because in internal comms, employee engagement has been a massive growth area over the last couple of years. And I think part of that was driven by CEOs suddenly at the start of the pandemic doing virtual town halls, talking to their people throughout the world, talking to a lot more people, but maybe in a slightly more informal setting and in an informal way as well. And they've possibly kept that vibe now afterwards you know realized they quite enjoyed it themselves that the pe- their people enjoyed it employee engagement's more important than ever so do you see that infusing internal comms and employee engagement because that's all about make keeping people happy isn't it pr is a talent business at the end of the day and uh, the war for talent is brutal but also people have a lot of mental health difficulties after the last couple of years they've been reassessing their lives so you know what are your advice what would your advice be to to companies on that employee engagement front? Yeah. Well, actually, what's interesting is there is a lot of uh, literature on life purpose and organizational purpose. And in fact, McKinsey and Company has been doing a lot of research during the pandemic on the intersection of life purpose and organizational purpose, because it does come together in the workplace, right? And the best scenario is if a company is, you know, operationalizing its business purpose and then inviting employees to align with their their business purpose and engage to help drive the business forward. But in order to do that, the best way to do that is to for employers to work with their employees and help them to really discover and understand their individual life purpose. So through their individual life purpose, they're able to better 
kind of engage with the business purpose of the organization. And that engagement is really powerful because it really does make employees feel that they can do and live a meaningful life at work. Now, you shouldn't uh, think you can live your entire life purpose at work because it is a life purpose. You should be living your purpose in every area of your life. But wouldn't it be great if your employer asked you, invited you to live your life purpose through the vehicle of the company? And the only CEO I've ever ever heard talking about this is Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. And, you know, Microsoft's um, business purpose is to empower every individual and every organization to achieve more. So if you have a purpose like that, it, you know, it behooves you to invite your employees to live their purpose through the vehicle of your company, which is what Nadella uh, has done, because he knows that will unleash and a lot unlock a lot more energy and passion and, and potential for growth. So more companies should do that. Yeah, the key to that is lifting it off the page, isn't it? It's a very noble statement uh, on a screen or on a page, but actually bringing it to reality and lifting it from a theory into practice so that people do buy into the company and don't, you know, you see a lot of people now just totally changing their lives, right? Giving up what they're doing and going and doing something completely different. So, yeah, how's he managed to achieve that when, when a lot of others haven't? Well, I think because he believes from his own personal life experience, because I think he has a special needs child. So, of course, his life is not only and all about work and Microsoft, right? It's about what's really important in life. So he realizes he's not the only one in his company that cares about things beyond the job itself. So I think that understanding is really important. And you know what? You... You um, had something, I read something in PR Week today that was on LinkedIn, which reminded me that one of the companies who's doing a really great job of operationalizing their business purpose and engaging employees is Macy's. And I saw that uh, um, Carol Cohn had worked with Macy's to partner them with uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and they raised something like $5 million for the nonprofit over the holiday season, which is great. But that is just an expression of their mission, everyone. I love that the CEO is a gay man and he's openly gay in the company and inviting people to be their authentic self because bringing our, you know, our whole person to work is the source of our greatest power. And Macy's has this mission, everyone, where we're on a mission to create a brighter future with bold representation for all. And we call it Mission Everyone. And I just love that. And one of the companies I actually did uh, Discover Your Life and Leadership Purpose Workshop for was Bobby Amishwari, who is this Chief Communications Officer at Macy's. I had actually worked with him and Rosemary Mercedes when uh, they were at Univision. I did a retreat for their um, corporate communications team. So I love that Macy's is doing an inside-outside um, kind of 360-degree take on mission and purpose and, you know, engaging 
all of their stakeholders, starting with their employees, but extending to to all of their stakeholders, including shareholders. So that's the way more companies should do it. Yeah, yeah. We, we write a lot of stories about that. We get And we get together for our Purpose Awards and conference in Chicago in October, and it's important, yeah. I agree. What do you think of social media, Patrice? It's you know, you remember the time before social media, as I do. Yeah. It's an, a wonderful tool in terms of being able to do things and connect, but it also can be very toxic, can't it? And people can really get yeah. hurt and stung in that. What, what's your view of it and and what needs to change yeah. on there? You know, it, I don't know if we can. It's a bit of a rollaway, runaway train, isn't it? Well, the social media is like any communications platform, right? It's what you communicate that will communicate who you are and the experience and the type of followers and friends that you want to attract. So, you know, and I'm on four platforms and I try to communicate um, information, good news. I do joy tweets because it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really serve me or anyone else if I'm just being negative, you know, uh, uh, 24-7. I, I don't like reading that. And, uh, you know, and so, and I would like my, um, as you know, I'm, and you're active on uh, many of the platforms too. I like just sharing flowers that I bought because they bring me joy. And I know they, that they bring other people joy too, you know, a great restaurant meal and photos of that. I mean, those kinds of things on Facebook in particular have really high engagement, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm, I'm very openly, very uh, opinionated in terms of my politics, you know, on all the platforms. And I guess that's one of the benefits of, I don't work for anyone else, right? I can <laughs> do yeah, what pleases me and what I think is fair. I, you know, I say, and what I think is unfair, I will also communicate and companies that I really support for doing the right thing. I am very openly uh, complimentary and those that aren't not so much. And finally, look, it's the start of the year. Everyone does New Year's resolutions that they then forget about within a couple of weeks. Um, What's uh, what's your top tip for making those resolutions stand and for sort of trying to position yourself for a year, you know, like um, to to be productive and purposeful? I think New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. If you're going to take time to do a New Year's resolution, you might spend the time to discover and articulate your life purpose. That's going to serve you for longer than a year. I've been living my life purpose for 20 years. And just by having a life purpose that says my life purpose is to choose joy, to be mindful of that joy and share joy with others. I do that every single day, rinse and repeat uh, through my personal and professional life. And, you know, I have been able to get from a place of unjoy to joy. So I am continuing to actively live my purpose. So I say, if you want to make 2023 your best year ever, you really should think about discovering and actively living uh, your life purpose, because that will unleash greater success and fulfillment and joy, which is what we all want. 
right? Yeah, that's a great mantra. Thank you for bringing that joy to the podcast. We appreciate it and, and to everything you do. So uh, we love following you on social and uh, continued success and looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about some of our news stories today. Frank, we've got lots to get through. So a couple of crises, um, the FAA overnight, an extraordinary sort of um, issue that affected everyone, didn't it? And then we had the continuing uh, NFL. It's good to see DeMar Hamlin actually leaving hospital today. That's a, that's, that's great news because that's... Yeah. Uh, Thank yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's terrific news. Um, you know, it's it's funny in terms of how the NFL handled it. I, I really thought watching the way the games proceeded this past weekend that uh, maybe the NFL came out of the situation looking pretty good. Uh, when you see all the ways that people rallied behind uh, Hamlin when he was still in the hospital. Uh, but now after this ESPN story that was out the other day that said that the, the teams really did have to push the league to to postpone the game and ultimately cancel it, uh, I'm starting to rethink that. So I, 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 I want to see a bit more about how this plays out through the end of the year. Like you mentioned, um, the great news is he's back in Buffalo and he's out of the hospital. And uh, yeah. that seems really encouraging, uh, given that it's a week. Uh, yeah, since, who would have uh, thought? Since it happened. So, um, you know. Uh, really glad to see that the FAA um, sort of a, maybe an unprecedented situation where the FAA uh, cited a uh, glitch this morning and basically grounded uh, all flights from taking off uh, in the early morning hours. Uh, now that has we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. That is that has been resolved and and flights are back up and going. Uh, but it's been a rough couple of weeks for airlines, and you could imagine a lot of passengers not happy about another round of uh, disruption happening here. The president has called for an investigation, and we should say the FAA had been really tweeting a lot of info out uh, this morning. Um, a lot of it in very technical terms, I thought, but uh, they had been tweeting info out for sure. Yeah. We've all experienced flight issues over the past few months, haven't we? So, and Southwest obviously was the big, uh, biggest uh, proponent of that over the holiday period. It seems like their systems are way out of date, from what I what I could tell there, which was yeah. extraordinary. Do you have any particular take on those crises, Patrice? No, other than that's why I didn't travel during yeah, the holidays. Yeah, absolutely, I knew yeah. That- Passengers behaving badly would only get worse during yeah. the holidays, uh, apart from the airline um, issues themselves. That's a good so, example because you see those all over yeah. social. Uh, I've never seen one in practice, thankfully, on a plane. So I'm pleased about yeah. that. But, you know, you, you see it on social and you think it's happening everywhere, don't you? And I think that applies to anything that you see yeah. on social. I just feel bad for Southwest Airlines because we've all loved Southwest yeah. for so long. It's a lot long. of goodwill for and them, isn't it? And they've so many. Right. And then you read all of these things about passengers who still haven't gotten their luggage two weeks later. You know, Passengers uh, you spending know, Christmas Day in an airport. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not much right. fun. And it's because they haven't spent the money to upgrade their computer yeah. system. I'm sorry, you're make, you're profitable. You got to take some of the those uh, earnings and you know upgrade your system. Uh, and once again, oh it's an God. operational problem that gets portrayed as a PR disaster, doesn't it? But it's not a PR disaster. It's yeah. operational. The, the PR part or the comms part is what comes right. afterwards. So, yeah, good point, Frank. The Golden Globes were back. Didn't make as big a. Um, 
And I don't know, they just didn't seem as high profile as they have before. Is that just a part of this trend toward these events not being as high profile as they used to be? Well, I think in general, ratings are down for award shows across the board. And I am not a huge award show uh, person. You surprise me. Well, uh, except for with certain <laughs> exceptions made for the PR. PR week. week Awards, the Oscars of the PR industry, yes. Frank. Yes. Of course. Um, exactly. And so um, I was asking people who, around the office who are bigger movie buffs and TV buffs than I am, and they all had the same response, which was that they didn't know it was on TV last night. <laughs> so um, I guess the the awards needs a bit more publicity for itself. Um, well, because they, they chose not to show it last year, didn't they? Oh, well, the it, network chose yeah. not to show it. And yeah. it was because, you know, there was an extreme lack of diversity yeah. on their, uh, their board uh, before that, as well as various other issues. I, I guess I didn't realize that a lot of people watch the Golden Globes because most of the, the people are drunk during the show. So <laughs> I didn't know that's part yeah. of the appeal of it. Um, so I, I, long story short, I didn't watch, uh, right. this might be obvious, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I didn't uh, know what was happening last night either. It was at 9 PM and I saw that it started at 8 PM Eastern. And so, um, you know, I wasn't going to watch the show, but I thought, okay, well, let's just, let me watch the reporting as the New York times tells who won every category. But the thing that I really did appreciate, uh, about the golden globes is that, of course, there was a lot more diversity this year. They had to go that way, but fine. Well, however, they, you know, it was, uh, they had to go that way, you know. Uh, so the Golden Globes, not so white this year, which is a good thing. And, you know, two Asians won in major categories for Best Actress yeah. and Best Supporting Actor and, we had, um, what was his name? I didn't even know who, who he was. Uh, the the MC, who apparently is quite well known, but I've not seen any of the movies that he's done. So it was nice to have that diversity and to know that, you know, now they have like, they've added 103 vote voters so that now they can say 52% of the votes cast were cast by women. Uh, or 51% uh, cast by women and no, 52% cast by women, 51% cast by uh, racially uh, diverse groups, uh, and yeah. ethnically diverse people. Yep, that's good. Which is good. Not before time. But, uh, yep. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Frank. Prince Harry, you've been following this, his book launch, some extraordinary revelations in there, actually. I don't know how many of them we want to get into, and some very serious ones as well about his time in uh, Afghanistan. And uh, uh, But what, what was your take on that and the uh, the launch and the, and the reputation implications? I, I think it's interesting on a few levels, and number one in that he is, is certainly making all of the big stops between 60 Minutes and the late night shows, and you know, really seems to be getting... Um, any any placement he wants to uh, promote the book over the past few weeks. Um, I'm intrigued. It seems to be playing a bit differently here than it is in the UK. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, why, why do you think that is? And I, I can be a bit naive about the royal family, of course. So I, um, Well, because I think in the UK, the royal family is considered sacred almost. And uh, anyone who goes against them, and including someone who's part of the family, is considered a traitor. So um, some of the things he's been saying... A lot of people have said it's a good job the Queen is no longer with us. You know, she would have been devastated to hear some of the stuff, and I'm sure that's not uh, not an accident, you know, that the book was um, launched afterwards. The other thing is, you know, with these book launches, 
you get these clips, you get the social media things, and you don't get the full context of the the statement. For example, the the one about him, he he claims to have killed twenty five people in Afghanistan, Taliban. That, as a pure fact on its own, doesn't. It sounds really, you know, awkward and and the wrong thing to say. But when you read the whole passage, actually, there's a lot more to that. But that's yeah. the nature of PR and promotion. So, I, you know, should he have put a number on it? I guess I would have. I, I would have said with that one because he's put a he's put a target on his and his family's head. Basically, I know? I find him to be considerably more of a sympathetic character than other people. I, I'm obviously not a monarchist, but um, than other people in the royal family because I I think. Number one, he he has, to be fair, done a lot of charity work for veterans and 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 disabled veterans and things like that. And I think number two, he I, I mean, how old was he when his mother died? He was, was a young kid, under ten. Yeah, he yeah. Was, and I I mean that image of the two young boys walking behind the carriage is just why anybody made them do that was you know right. that's, that's a defining moment in any and, person's and life. And their mother obviously. died so incredibly publicly. Um, I don't know. I, I find I find him to be sympathetic in some ways. Patrice, what did you make of it? Yeah. I think Frank's right. The U.S. response is very different to the U.K. Yeah, and I haven't watched the Netflix series because I'm not that interested. I haven't watched the 60 minute um, interview. And frankly, I guess <laughs> I'm like a lot of people. Uh, I just get a lot of news snippets um, of the 60-minute interview of the Stephen Colbert interview. I watch TikTok, my secret, um, <laughs> you know, my guilty pleasure. <laughs> so there are a lot of reviewers doing little reviews on uh, of the book, of Spare. And I have to say that I think that Prince Henry over Harry, Harry is Harry, coming yeah. across Harry, Harry, yeah, is is coming across as very open and vulnerable and likable. And frankly, that plays to the American palate, I think. We, you know, we're not really monarchist, but we like people like Harry who are willing to be open about his life and, and very, you know, emotionally available. So I think... I like what I've been reading on social media. I'm still not going to read the book or anything beyond yeah. that. But. No, I, th- I think uh, that actually is one of the criticisms from the other side of the water is it's very American, you know, the, the tone, the style, the confessional, the therapy-led stuff. And people in the UK are like, oh, what yeah. is this, you know, nonsense, you know. But whereas it, it, plays, it plays a lot better to an American. Where audience, is he in the line of secession? Well, he's… He's um, like down to like number… Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> never he's never going to be right. never going to be king, especially now. Right. I don't think even if he was next in line, he'd be king. Um, but uh, one thing people are saying is, why is Harry getting all this uh, abuse when Prince Andrew, who frankly has been done much more egregious things, seems to not get a free pass on this, but it certainly doesn't get the same, um, you know. Uh, What's the word? Abuse, and uh, which he should for, for for his activities. You know, that's one of the things people. And I don't think it's that people are necessarily massive monarchists in the UK. You know, they liked Harry. They liked the fact he was different, and he wasn't. You know, yeah. he was like his mom. You know, he was a he, was, he had a bit of character and personality. Yeah, I think in the UK, the royal family probably thinks he's more dangerous, more of a threat because he is likable. 
Um, and so what he says has more credibility and has more, you know, uh, uh, opportunity to sway yeah. public opinion. Look, from a comms you know? point of view, I think the lesson is you were talking about it. People are consuming things in clips and little sound bites. In they're not they don't right. they're not reading the whole story. They're not reading a, a two thousand word feature in a magazine. You know this is how people are getting their information now. So if you want to get a message right. across, you've got to be prepared for that. And look, he's got amazing publicity. So if that's the objective to whether that passes through to sales of books, I never know that. You know, how many people actually go and buy these books? We see this with all these political books, don't you? You feel like you've kind of read them before they come out, which you, you obviously haven't. So, yeah, it's a really interesting case study, and, and people have got their own views on it. And, um, look, the royal family's got he's got to modernize, and I think uh, King Charles knows that. And, uh, you know, people forget he hasn't even been uh, had his coronation yet. And there's no, believe me, having been in the UK with the economic situation over there, there is no appetite for a massive fancy coronation spending billions of pounds of taxpayers' money at the moment. People are struggling, you know, so that's that's going to play into it too. But interesting stuff. Let's get back to the PR stories, Frank. AT&T has a new CCO and that has some implications for PepsiCo too. Well, um, yeah, it's Krista Pilot, and um, she is taking on the role of SVP of Corporate Communications, uh, which is the top comms position uh, over at AT&T. Now, she's replacing Casey Kavanaugh, who uh, had a short stint, less than a year, uh, at AT&T, where she joined up before leaving to join Visa uh, as their chief communications officer. Uh, so in the interim, uh, Lori Lee, whom Pilot is reporting to, oversaw the comms team at AT&T uh, during that time. Yeah, um, that was after Larry Solomon left after a long, uh, was it 30 years at AT&T? Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, they've tweaked the the job, I think, a little bit, haven't they? Because obviously Larry was a you know, someone who'd been there forever, and uh, and then um, she's come over from Pepsi, so there'll presumably be some some little shuffling around there too. But uh, interesting and uh, a very high profile role, you know, head of comms at AT and T is an iconic sort of American company, isn't it? So um, one of the sad things that happened over the the holiday period was the death of Barbara Walters, a legendary journalist, and Marina mm. Mar did a nice piece for us about that. Frank, what what struck you about Marina's piece? I have to say, I was really happy she wrote this because um, she had a really unique perspective on on not just working with Barbara Walters, but were hap happening to work with her when she was starting out in her career and, and being able to learn lessons from pitching Barbara Walters uh, story ideas. And, um, you know, her lessons learned were do your homework before you get in the room, do your prep work so you know what you're talking about, and you really thoroughly understand the problems and, and the issues of a subject before you get into it, uh, but also to lean into discomfort. So, uh, you know, those are great lessons. And I think there are just a really nice, um, you know, walk through Barbara Walters' career from when, you know, she was dismissed a lot of times because she was a woman before, you know, she was really a, a news industry legend. And um, there, it's just a really terrific read, and I'm happy she wrote it. Yeah. What did you think, Patrice? Yeah, I thought it was a great piece. And I had the pleasure of meeting Barbara Walters a couple of times through New York Women in Communications because she was always very supportive of the organization and appeared at our annual Matrix Awards uh, lunches and sometimes did separate standalone events with us because she was supportive of other women 
you know, in the media and in communication. So RIP, Barbara, thank you for being a pioneer and, and blazing the, the, the trail for so many women who follow in your footsteps. Yeah, well said, well said. It was uh, well worth checking out that piece. Um, Agencies are top of the agenda for us, Frank. Lots of stories at the start of the year about acquisitions and deals and new CEO at Havas Formula, lots of people moves. And we've opened up the call for submissions to our agency business report. So uh, yeah, lots going on. Yes. Um, so let me talk a little bit in depth about Havas. Uh, Havas Formula CEO Michael Olguin uh, is going to become chair of the agency and a new generation with two CEOs stepping in. Uh, one of them is Tara Reed, who uh, was the president of Havas Formula Midwest. She's going to be the CEO of Havas Formula. But also Adrian Cadena is going to be the CEO of Havas Street. Um, and that's the experiential wing of the agency that that really looks to tell, uh, looks to do events and experiential things through through more of a an earned media connection. Now, interestingly, they are both reporting up to Stephanie Nerlich, uh, and she is the North America CEO for Havas Creative. So, an interesting reporting structure there uh, in terms of who's running the PR agency and where they are reporting to. Can you just give us a two minute uh, outline of how Havas is structured, mate. Uh, more like a two hour. You <laughs> 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 not quite figure that one out yet. <laughs> Been here a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I want to point out another really interesting uh, initiative in that Golan has launched a diversity, equity, and inclusion-focused career, creative career development program. It's called Night School. Uh, it is um, targeting people from underserved communities who are uh, looking for a change of pace in their career and might be considering, uh, you know, creative industries or communications. I, I think this is really terrific because I think some of the feedback you get uh, in talking about a lack of diversity in the industry and in the agency world is that there, there haven't been a lot of creative ways of attacking the problem. And this is a creative way of attacking it. So good for them for trying this out. The program actually started in Golan's UK market and uh, they started in the US uh, in September 2022. So yeah, really, really interesting uh, agency initiative there. Yeah, and then there was um, a couple of acquisitions as well. Yeah, we have a few. Taneo actually made one, uh, picking up uh, Tolkem, which is a financial and crisis uh, specialist firm, uh, also based in They also brought on Jeff Morell, did they not? Yes, they did. VP and short-lived Disney head of comms. That's right, and was the Pentagon spokesperson uh, for a couple of years. So that's, that's a really, I think, interesting one, considering just how much in the spotlight uh, that you see Taneo being. And I think that was that was probably the most high-profile one uh, in the UK, except for Penta making an acquisition uh, in London as well and really expanding their market across Europe. Yeah, Penta's doing some interesting stuff. We'll have uh, Matt McDonald on in a few weeks on the podcast. He's their president, so we'll find out more about that. And let me give you one more, 360 PR+. Plus. Uh, bought Powers Brand Communications. In some ways, it's a it's a regional uh, move in that they expand their reach to Philadelphia, uh, acquire uh, their agency there. It's their second acquisition overall, 360s. Patrice, you've been out of the agency world a few years, but what do you, you've obviously know a lot of people who are still in there. Is there anything that struck you about the way the profession has developed? Do you feel good about the agency sector? Are you glad you're out of it? What, what's your overall thoughts? Well, it seems like a lot of these big agencies and, and medium-sized agencies 
are doing a lot of work to to improve the employee experience. And I, I love that. And they actually have these um, mentoring cohorts for diverse um young professionals to make sure that they um, have a sense of belonging at the agency and they can are supported in, in their journey um, to help, you know, diversify the agency. So I see a lot of good work being done at agencies focused on employees. Yeah, needs to be done as well. So, yeah, it's good to see that. And let's yeah. finish with a nutty story, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, planters. This is an interesting job opportunity uh, for a recent graduate from uh, with a marketing. I fancy this one myself, mate. Yeah. It, uh, you know, look, they didn't give us any uh, details on what the, the salary is or the requirements yeah, or anything like that. that. But there's three roles open and each of the people who do this get to travel the country. They get to travel the country while driving a 26 foot long peanut shaped car in the U.S. Great anecdote about how the car was pulled over by law enforcement. And there was some some banter about whether or not it was actually street legal. It is, believe it or not. Um so, yeah, and they make so. appearances on local radio and TV. They promote the brand. Uh, they do a lot of social media. It looks like a lot of fun. So rather than the Wienermobile, this is the Nutmobile. Yes. Yes. Um, it seems in some of the videos they're joined by Mr. Peanut himself. There you go. wonder what kind of a roommate he is in the, the car driving Salty, I would imagine. <laughs> or, or, well, depending on, is he salted or unsalted? These are the things that really keep us up at night, aren't they? But, uh, yes. They call themselves peanutters. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's a really interesting job. I So, this is the second iteration of this. They have three people currently doing it. They look really happy in pictures, for what it's worth. And um, I, I am interested to see where these three people land. You know, what is what is the next stop after uh, you've I'm driven sure. around the country in a peanut-shaped car? I'm so. sure you could leverage that. <laughs> it's not totally nuts to imagine otherwise, but that sounds like a good place yeah. to end the show. Patrice, always a pleasure. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on. Keep spreading that joy. Thank you, and Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Um, don't forget our salary surveys open to the end of this week. We need a few more, just a few more entries. It only takes a few minutes to uh, complete. Healthcare awards still open. Get your best work in for those and your teams and your individuals. Women of Distinction, really important program. You've got until the 20th of January to nominate people for that. And our Global Awards program is open as well i think till the 27th of january so lots of things to be working on but that's all we got time for we'll see you next time on the pr week 